Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt with a lovely little Empire podcast interview special for you. If you listen to this week's regular episode, which was recorded live on Wednesday at King's Place in London, so not regular at all, really, you'll have heard me mention Aaron Eckhart as one of the guests. And that was the plan that I would subtly slip in an interview with Aaron Eckhart that I pre-recorded a couple of weeks ago, in which we talked about his new movie, Wander. Sadly, though, slipping in a pre-record into a live show proved a bit too jarring in terms of the sound levels and whatnot. You know, best laid plans of mice and podcasters and all that. So I've decided to turn the interview with Aaron Eckhart into a special pod, which means that instead of getting a shorter, edited, 15 to 18 minute version, you're going to get the full 25 minutes with Eckhart, who is a thoughtful, reflective and quietly funny actor who's notched up one hell of a career since he burst onto the scene in tandem with director Neil LeBute and the one-two punch of In the Company of Men and Your Friends and Neighbours almost two decades ago. He's since used his ability to play both All-American Decency and subversive All-American Dastardliness in the likes of Aaron Brockovich, the first two dot-dot-dot has fallen movies, The Core, Thank You for Smoking, Sully, and, of course, as Harvey Dent in Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight. Wander, which is available now to rent and buy on PVOD, sees him star alongside another Harvey Dent, Tommy Lee Jones, in a twisting, turning, shifting psychological thriller in which you're never quite sure what's real and what's not. Eckhart plays Arthur Bretnick, a private eye and conspiracy theory enthusiast who runs a podcast and finds himself getting sucked into a mystery that may, just may, prove him right about an awful lot of stuff. I caught up with Eckhart on Zoom a couple of weeks ago. He was in his car, so apologies if his sound is a little spotty at times, but I had a fascinating time talking to him, and I hope you do too. Here we go. Enjoy. We're delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by the star of Wonder, Mr. Aaron Eckhart. How are you, sir? Excellent. Thank you. Whereabouts in the world are you? I am on a street corner in Natchez, Mississippi, overlooking the Mississippi River with uh, 90 degree weather inside of my car. <laughs> How's that? Yeah, no, this is pretty good. It's pretty good. I mean, pretty much exact coordinates. Uh, so <laughs> that's, that's all yeah, fine. You want my longitude latitude? Yeah, might as well throw it in, throw it in. Because uh, this, this will be going out in a couple of weeks' time. You'll, you, you won't be in that place by the time people are listening to this. Uh, you don't you don't know that I live here. No, I, I won't be in this exact place, but I'll be in town. Yeah. Okay. All right. You're in your car. Are you doing errands today, or or are you just driving around? No, I'm uh, I'm without internet service. So in the, the the place that I live, and to do the podcast, I have to be uh, in a cell in a, an appropriate cell uh, location. So this is the one I found that works that would be reliable. Okay, excellent. This all feels strangely on point for Wander, I have to say. <laughs> you're, you're Very doing, appropriate. Yeah, you're doing a podcast from your car. This is this is amazing because you know I did want to ask about you know this this incredible role, Arthur. Uh, you have played in your career. You have played everything. You've played guys who saved the world. You have played cops. You've played the president of the United States of America. But finally, now you're playing the coolest, toughest, sexiest profession of them all, podcaster. So is that what you were looking for? (laughs) 
you know, uh, it was the funnest part of the movie. And the, the part I probably enjoyed the most, especially because he's a conspiracy theorist, a podcaster, and uh, he's got a good sidekick, you know. Um, <laughs> I, I really enjoyed it. And, you know, to where they did their podcast, now, you're probably in a, well, I don't know where you're doing your podcast. Oh, uh, I'm just in, I'm I'm in my office. I'm in this is my 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 flat in Greenwich. I'm not going to give you my exact coordinates, uh, but no. <laughs> it's uh, it's in Greenwich in London. We were in the desert, New Mexico, under the stars. Mm-hmm. It was absolutely gorgeous. Um, you very hot during the day, and you had beautiful um, thunder clouds come in with raging thunder and lightning storms and rain, and it was just wonderful. The wind came up, and while we were doing it. And to be sitting across from Tommy Lee Jones and and watching him be a you know uh, a conspiracy theorist and you know uh, it was just it was a wonderful wonderful night and wonderful memory uh, for the film. Yeah, it it the the film makes me want to actually listen to that podcast as well. Not just your character's podcast, but I would pay good money. Good money, Aaron. And we're talking, <laughs> we're talking five, maybe even ten dollars uh, a month uh, for a subscription no. to listen to a podcast between, uh, you know, that's just you and Tommy Lee Jones just shooting the shit. I would love that. Oh yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. I would list, I would pay the same amount of money to listen to Tommy. Um, probably a little bit more. I, you know, <laughs> uh, because he, the guy's a legend, um, an accomplished actor, Academy Award winner, and to listen to the stories that he has with the directors and the actors that he's worked with would be would be extraordinary it's one of my favorite things working with actors is um i feel like i've worked with some pretty good ones like you know nicholson or or sean penn or whoever it is mm-hmm. it's just to sit there and listen to their stories um sometimes of how hollywood used to work you know how how tommy lee uh, manages his business what his outlook is on hollywood and why he doesn't live there and uh in his career mm. It's fascinating. They they always surprise you. I mean, I, and obviously you, your paths have crossed in the past. You were in the missing together, but I don't. If I recall correctly, you weren't in any scenes together. So, is we is were. you were okay? Yeah, we were in the barn together. Um, we had one. Now I don't know. I can't remember the movie. If it's a significant scene as it yeah. was cut, but we did have a a, a quite a good scene in. Uh, in the missing and that's where i first met him um that was ron howard's movie Mm -hmm. and then uh he was also two-face in um in joel schumacher's batman yes indeed uh which which i have to say i do wonder you know given your shared harvey dent experience was that was that a way in to do conversation i mean it it could be the name of your podcast dueling two faces i'm I'm gonna throw it out there (laughs) yeah Well, we could, we're, we're one face together. We're one face. Um, we complete each other. No, that didn't actually come up. I think somebody on the crew mentioned it and we had a laugh about it, but, um, you know, they're so different. Uh, the, the tones and the tenor of the, the films are so different. Mm. Um, I don't know how Tommy feels about two face. I don't know how he feels about me being two face afterwards. I, and I've heard that there's another two face. So, you know, it's just that's the way it goes. <laughs> so many, so many faces. Yeah, there's going to be a lot. We did talk about the missing, and um, yeah. you know, Tommy's a, a big rancher. He owns a lot of land in Texas and uh, New Mexico, and we have that in common. So, 
but mostly I just kind of watch those guys and see what they're doing and how good they are. Is that something that, because I, I read a previous interview with you where you say when you were making this movie that you lived pretty much out in the desert of New Mexico on your own in a house and you had to deal with rattlesnakes, things like that. Uh-huh. Is that what you're happiest? Yeah, well, April Mullen, the director, uh, who was a fantastic director, she set that all up for me. She basically, I mean, made that decision for me. She said, uh, I want you living outside. I don't want anybody to talk to you. I don't want anybody to see you. Of course, I agreed with that. And um, an interesting story is that the first day, she gathered everybody in a large circle and did a Native American ceremony. And we had the local chief out and, and we did a song. and. It was very nice and did incense and, and that and sort of blessed the beginning of the film. And then uh, unbeknownst to me, she she said to the whole crew, she goes, see this guy here? Nobody talks to him. <laughs> and I was, I was blown away. She says, nobody talks to him. And I fell in love with April on that day. She unburdened me of having to entertain people during the day, you know, of, of my, of uh, the idea that you, this idea, because you only have certain, uh, you know, energy and effort that you put out a day and it's very difficult, especially with difficult material and, mm-hmm. and emotions and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And now, of course, I talk to people, of course, they talk to me, but she set the tone for the film that this is a movie that is going to be tough and um, we're going to have to go to places and, um, and do things that are difficult. And uh, she took, she brought the crew in and uh, and explained the tenor of the movie. And, it, and I really appreciated it. And she did the same thing with my lodging. She put me in the middle of the desert and I used to run every day. And um, on my journey there, I would definitely step over rattlesnakes and ran over one and, um, and uh, always had to watch. Now I'm in Mississippi now. And uh, I just came in contact with a cotton mouth, which is oh my as, uh, as dangerous. And alligators, actually, too. So you always have to watch where you are. I, I really appreciated April protecting the character like that as a director and saying to everybody, this is important. What we're doing, we're, it's entertainment, but we're, we're trying to do it right. It's going to take a lot of effort. And uh, she set the tone on the first day. Over the years, you've obviously worked with some amazing directors as well, and uh, I'm sure every single director you've worked with has has different working methods. But how do you like to interact with your directors? Are you the sort of uh, actor who keeps in constant contact with directors in the run up to the start of production, or are you basically, you know, do you like to get the broad brushstrokes of where the character is going, and then go off and do your own work on that? I like to be by myself. Uh, and the reason is because a director only can get you so far. I mean, directors are dealing with cameras and angles and setups and art direction, makeup. So you're not really their first concern pretty much the whole day long, except when you need them or they need you to do something particular. Um, I like to go do my work. And another thing, is too, is when you're doing your work, people who are outside of your work, really will want to intellectualize the work. You know, they'll give the reasons why and they'll analyze it. And this sort of, that's not my job as an actor. I don't analyze my behavior. 
I just try to do the behavior mm. and give reason and uh, emotion behind the behavior. If I intellectualize something too much, it does me no good. It gets me in my head. It takes me out of my body. It takes me out of the character and it confuses me. And so I don't think people understand. I'm going to talk about directors now uh, and producers, et cetera. They don't understand um, that intellectualizing something or talking about something can actually be detrimental. And plus, everybody has an opinion, right? And their opinion might confuse me or it might, it might lead me down uh, a road that I don't need to go down or that I see differently. And um, so I, I tend to stay away, actually. But when I'm filming, I like to stay very close to the director and really only the director because I, I call filming is a benevolent dictatorship and it really is coming from one man's or woman's vision. Mm-hmm. In this case, a woman. It's April's vision of this movie. The writer doesn't have the same vision and the producers. It's really April, how she sees this movie. It's her movie. I'm working for her. And so I have to do, I have to fit into that vision. And so I stay very close to her. Now, an interesting point about that is somebody like Clint Eastwood, he doesn't want to know about it. He doesn't want to talk to you about it. He says, hey, I, I, I hired you guys. You're good actors. That's why I hired you. Just go do your thing. So <laughs> the actors um, have their way of doing things, but directors also have their way. So all those stories about Eastwood with, you know, he, where he only goes for maybe a couple of takes and he's got this very laid back atmosphere on set. So those are, those are true. Well, I'll tell you a story. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the one scene alone, uh, I did a movie called Soli, Clint directed it. And there was one time that I had a scene by myself and I was sitting in a hotel uh, bed and I was talking on the phone to somebody. And so we set up the camera. I went in there, sat on the edge of the bed, sit there. And I said, I had my phone conversation, finished the scene. And Clint goes, that's enough of that crap. (laughs) 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 And he walked away. (laughs) I did it one time a major motion picture I did it one time and the cameraman his his cameraman said hey hey," everybody calls Clint boss he said hey boss uh, maybe we should go in closer and shoot another one and Clint goes "All right." so we went in closer brought the camera closer and we shot it again he goes okay that's enough of that crap and we went home And it was beautiful. Amazing. You know, and let me say, I'll tell you another story. Please do. I'll tell you another story. The first day, the first day of filming on that, uh, I had to climb up the boat, you know, out of the water and Mm -hmm. get on the boat. And nobody really told me what was going on. So, and Clint was standing there. So I come up out of the boat and I go to ask Clint what's going on, what, what, what he wants me to do. He sees me coming. He turns away and walks away. I said, okay, that's how it is with Clint. <laughs> that's amazing. But you don't want every director to be like that at the same time. No, Clint is a special, special, special director. Loved working with him. No, I mean, I think the uh, the idea of the Scorsese-De Niro relationship is really what you want. You want a very intimate relationship where they're not shouting at you and telling, giving you direction over a bullhorn or, 
all that sort of stuff. You want a very intimate relationship where it seems special. They whisper in your ear. Um, you know, uh, those are always the most rewarding. But I'll tell you another example. Um, when I was working with Soderbergh on Aaron Brockovich, mm-hmm. you know, you'd just be standing there and, and then you'd look to your right and all of a sudden Steven's standing next to you and he's not saying anything. But what it means to you is, uh, you know, it's, it's huge because he could be doing a multitude of things, right? Uh, but he's standing next to his actor. And I appreciated that. It's just those little things that say, I'm with you. I appreciate you. You're doing a good job. And we're making a movie. Mm. That's, that's, and Sean Penn's the same way. You know, uh, I remember Sean, we're at three in the morning with Jack Nicholson and I are doing a scene. We finished the take and all of a sudden I see Sean running up the road, waving his arms, running, 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 saying, did you hear what you just said? Did you hear what you just said? <laughs> Smiling. <laughs> and that's, you know, Sean's one of my heroes, right? So yeah. that just was like, I'll never forget that, that moment. That's amazing. Um, those are the, those are directors that I, I love directors that love actors. Yeah. You know, um, and at the end of the day, you're working with actors. Cameras are important and all that sort of stuff, but it's really your actors. And obviously, obviously Clint and, uh, Clint, as he likes me to call him and, uh, and Sean Penn, yeah, they, they are, they are actors and, and Soderbergh, my, my understanding of him is, uh, is that he is very actor friendly as well. Uh, does that really make a difference then, you know, especially if they've acted before, if they, if they are actors oh. in terms of the interactions? Oh my God. John, John's one of the greatest actors. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, it just makes all the difference in the world. Um, for example, there's a scene in the pledge, uh, where I, Jack, Jack and I are talking, um, he comes and visited me in his office. We're cops. And, uh, He's smoking a cigarette. He's got a, a whiskey bottle in his back pocket. He's a mess. And I'm the young, clean cop. And um, I went to Sean and I said, Sean, I have to be eating an orange in this scene. <laughs> That's not in the script. I got this all on my own. And Sean said, don't even think twice about it. He goes, get him some oranges. And um, I'm eating an orange, peeling an orange. And Jack Jack uh, snubs his cigarette in the orange peel um, that I was eating. It's yeah. a beautiful metaphor. Yeah. And But Sean didn't question it. Any other director would have been, no. He wouldn't even give him that a second thought. But Sean trusts his actors, and um, it makes all the difference. And look at the quality of actors that Sean's worked with as yeah. a director. Yeah. I mean, who wouldn't want to work with him? Because... He gives you great material. He supports you. So that's the that's an actor's director. And I'm guessing as well, Aaron, that actors, directors who are actors, don't give line readings. Am I right in that? Not unless you ask for them, which sometimes I do. Sometimes I just get so frustrated and say, "Just, just tell me how to say it." <laughs> um, but usually, I I do that when I'm working with technical directors to say, you know. They're more more worried about the camera, like John Wu. John Wu will have a camera coming in from uh, from the next state over, all the way and stop like you know 
a centimeter before your face. And in that case, you know, you have to hit it perfect and it's, um, it's a little bit more disconcerting, but you're right. Um, actor directors don't do that. You know, Clint, I remember a time, I think it was, uh, the time when Tom Hanks had to give the, his big speech at the end of the movie. And, um, mm. I don't know if we were reading it or what we were doing, but, uh, Clint said, you know, just do it. That's why I hired you guys. You're good actors. Just do it. And that was it. That was it. He just said, I trust all of you guys. You know, that's why I wouldn't have hired if you didn't trust you. And uh, you can't imagine. I mean, Clint Eastwood is, I think, he he is the elder state, statesman of American cinema. Mm-hmm. He is the icon. He's had a career since a teenager all the way up into his 90s. And um, he's been successful all along the way. And he's an iconic face and character. And I don't know if anybody can really ever say that about another person living today. And um, so to hear Clint say that and to give you that uh, appreciation was meant, meant a lot to me. I can imagine that it, that it did as well. And, you know, he's, I mean, the man is a, the man is a legend. The, the thing is, whilst actors may not want line readings necessarily, if I were in your shoes, I would have gone, Clint, can you just ask me how to say this line? Because I want to hear this line in Clint Eastwood's voice. And that would be it. That would be just a purely selfish thing for me. <laughs> well, what I did do was I asked him to say things that he had said, um, uh, which was dangerous in itself because uh, <laughs> I didn't know what response I was going to get. Um, what, what's one of Clint's famous lines? I can't even think of it now. Well, do you feel lucky, um, punk? Is a, is a is a big one. Yeah. Do you feel lucky? And yeah, I got him to say a couple of those. I think <laughs> that was special. Um, you know, you're right. Had I thought about it, I would say, Clint, just tell me how to say it. Um, but you know, I went to the bathroom probably one too many times with Clint, and he was waiting on me one time. You don't want to upset the man. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, I remember going to the bathroom once and there I see Clint, everybody watching me, staring at me, walking back in and he's got his hands like, like, you done? You ready? Can we work now? That was hilarious. <laughs> Amazing stuff. Uh, well, Aaron, I've got to let you go in a second, but I, I just want to ask uh, a little thing about this, about this movie as well, Wonder, because it's a movie that because of the the mental state of your character, Arthur, it slingshots around and it's a movie that constantly wrong foots you and pulls the rug out from under you and uh, is deliberately obfuscates what's going on. So does April help in that regard in terms of keeping you keep track of where Arthur is and what is going on and what the truth of it all is? Or is that something that you you work out yourself? No, that's April. She's keeping me on track the whole time. You know, what's going on? What what are your intentions here? How do you see editing this? How does this make sense if I do this? You know, I always, I said to April after the movie, I said, I didn't go big enough. You know, I didn't go big enough. I should have gone bigger. Um, and at the time you think, wow, I can't get any bigger than I'm already gone. But um, it, it's really April's vision about how she sees the film. Um and uh, keeping it all straight. Now, the, I don't know, I've called the, I'll just say the interesting thing about filmmaking is that, you know, after production's over, you have to go into post-production, you have to cut it, and then that's when 
there's so many more cooks in the kitchen and um the movie changes in ways that were even more unexpected you know and the movie actually uh it morphs into maybe something else you know because you're you have all these other visions um and sometimes it's for the better and sometimes it's for the worse but um when we're filming i look at april i look at the director only i that's what i do uh you know, when I got to work each day, I would grab a handful of New Mexican dirt and I would put it on my face and in my hair. And that was my makeup. I was April's the whole day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some directors, you know, you hear stories. You know, I'm sure you, uh, anybody listening to this has heard stories about certain directors who maybe aren't as actor friendly. You know, that's when it becomes a job, right? I mean, that's when it becomes, hey, I'm, I'm working for a living right now because I'm just getting yelled at. And I'm being told where to stand. And I don't have, I have no autonomy. I have no uh, creative vision for myself. I would prefer to make smaller movies that have a smaller audience and make less money and all that sort of stuff, have less conveniences um, and do a movie like Wander any day of the week. It wouldn't even be a question. And that's what I've done. I mean, I've basically graduated to small movies, what I'm doing now in Mississippi, a very small movie, but the character is great. Uh, the role is extremely challenging, and um, we'll see what happens. But I'll, I'll I'll use the same philosophy, and the one that I'm doing after this movie is exactly the same. But to be free, for me as an actor, to be free, I think is the uh, the ultimate prize now. Independent film, you know, the, the 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 emergence of Sundance and the whole circuit of independent film is it's an actor's dream, and I say to any young screenwriter. Those are Harleys. <laughs> I said, you can get anybody to act in your movie, any actor you want. You just have to write them the part and go and say, I just, will you please read this script? You, I have written you an Academy Award winning part in this script because they're not being fulfilled, I think, the way that they originally attended, uh, intended when they you know, first started out as an actor. Mm. Um, if somebody gives you that opportunity in a smaller film to, to stretch your muscles and, and go out there and try to reach, I think most actors will take the opportunity to do it. And that's what independent film has given us. Aaron, I'm going to let you go because I imagine it's hot as hell in your car. It is. All right. I'll let you go. <laughs> get some. I've, I've enjoyed it. Okay. Likewise, sir. Likewise. But I'll let you get some, uh, some Mississippi fresh air at long last. Aaron Eckhart, it's been right. a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. So that was Aaron Eckhart, and don't forget that Wander is out to rent or buy on PVOD right now at your usual PVOD outlets and stockists, wherever they are. But wherever they are, they're online. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast, and if you haven't yet heard this week's regular Empire podcast, well, it was our first live show in over a year. It featured guests Edgar Wright, Sparks, and David Thewlis, and was an absolute blast and if you don't already subscribe to our spoiler special channel now is the time to do so because loki interviews with kate heron the director and tom hiddleston loki himself await while a black widow spoiler special is about to join them find out more at empireonline.com forward slash spoiler specials the water's lovely we'd love to have you right that's enough for me i'm off now to see if i can further convince aaron eckhart to start a podcast with Tommy Lee Jones. You know what, folks? I think I can do it. I believe in Harvey Dent's. Thanks for listening. 
See you next time. Bye.